0: Good morning, uh, my name is Wendell Moses, let's bow our heads for prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together and, and talking about you, to learning about you and to share with others what we have learned and what they have learned. May we honor you during this time, may we learn of you, send your spirit to guide us in our discussion, may we be truly Christian in all that we do and say, Amen. The lesson for today is lesson number 10, Reformation, Willingness to Grow and Change. I just realized that I studied the wrong lesson. No, I studied lesson number 10, but I missed the first word, willingness. This lesson is about willingness. I studied about growth and change. Isn't that how we always are? We look at at something and we say, oh yeah, I know about that. You know? And so anyway, I will not talk about willingness today. Okay? Maybe obliquely. So anyway. Um, Is there ever a time when we are not changing? Okay. Is there ever a time when we are not growing? No. I hear yes. And I hear no. Can we grow in the wrong direction? Okay? Well, (laughs) uh, so the question is not whether we are growing or not. The question is into what likeness we are growing or changing. Okay? I mean, we can stop growing in our Christian walk and we can, you know, Grow cold, We've, we had that terminology in the, in the biblical all discussion. I'm sorry? Well, grow older. Yeah, we're all growing older, hopefully. Um, <laughs> wouldn't it be great in heaven when we aren't growing older? Amen. <laughs> uh. All right, so we are changing and growing whether we like it or not, okay? Some of those changes and growth are things that we like and some of them aren't. Um, will someone please read the memory verse, James 4, 6, and 7? He gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Why does God resist the proud? No willingness. Yeah, they
1: don't have a humble heart.
0: They're hard to work with. They're hard to work with? Okay. Is it because he's a jealous God and he will have no other gods before him?
1: Yes, if
0: you understand that appropriately. Okay. Um, You know, for whatever reason, I guess one of the reasons is I grew up in the 50s and 60s and and King James Version was the the version in which everyone read, etc. And so when I have memory text in my mind, I have to go to my gadget and turn on King James and look it up and then switch over to something I can understand. You know. I um <laughs> I have um a, a a book on my bookshelf that's called the King James Word Book. And it's about two thousand words that have changed their meaning from King James time to the current time. The King James Version was um written when tennis was being invented. Okay? And some other things in our culture were being done, and so what they do in the book is they quote from the King James, and then they quote from either Shakespeare or the rules of culture or whatever to show how that word was used, and then you and then show the word that's currently being used today, and um, you know just like um, um, we uh, we used to have a youth camp near here that was Camp Come Be Gay. And we had to change that that title because we were attracting people um, with other ideas than what we had at our youth camp. So anyway, so yes, it depends on what you understand that to be as far as jealous God. Is being proud against God's law? No. Yes. No. I mean,
1: there's... Depends on what you're proud of. I'm proud of being a Christian. I don't think
0: that's against God's law. I heard some deep sighs over here.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you want to comment on that sigh? No. What
1: does your word book say about pride? Maybe we need
0: to <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't bring it. I brought other things. I didn't bring, I didn't bring that one, okay? Um... Is it because it's not in our best interest to be proud?
1: What kind of pride?
2: Yeah, there's two kinds of
1: pride.
0: Yeah, I mean... There's probably more than two, but yeah, there's there's at least, you know, yeah.
1: I'm thinking of proud of the fact that when my kids do well in school, whatever, I'm proud of them. Is that wrong? You know, I think we follow God and do what He wants. He's proud of us. He's proud of His children for obeying Him and stuff.
0: Excellent. One of my main tasks as a pediatric surgeon is to monitor my children's, my patients' bone growth. And um, it's upsetting to me if I see one of their bones growing crooked. Many times it's um, nothing they did directly, something they inherited or something happened or whatever. But why am I concerned?
1: You're thinking outcome.
0: I'm thinking outcome. I would like the best to happen for those kids. Those are my kids. Okay? And I think in the same way, um, we will self-destruct if we go in the wrong direction.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If we're selfish and proud in the wrong direction. We'll grow into beings that are terminal. Not because God has to execute us, but because we'll, be, we'll have a, a terminal condition. And um, we are God's children and He wants the best for us. Okay, so the second part of that, that text, how does he give grace to the humble? How does that happen? Is that an arbitrary, I've got a, I've got a pound of grace that I'm going to put on you?
1: Grace yes. Can it can often be substituted with love. He gives love to the humble. I think actually, in if you go way back and study the words and stuff, grace means love.
0: Okay. My be the is they Humble, the only ones that perceive and receive
2: the grace. I mean, God's grace is available to everyone. God's love is available to everyone in equal measure. Okay. But it's whether or not we accept it and experience it. Gives more, and experience it. But He gives more grace to
1: those who are willing to work with the grace He's already given them.
0: Okay. I have a scenario to read you. Um, it's what was portrayed to me when I was growing up. We fulfill certain requirements and conditions. Therefore, we are given or rewarded with gifts which we otherwise would not be eligible to receive. It is at this point that we are given a quantity of grace. I don't know how we measure that. A cup full, I don't know. Anyway. Um, If we get enough of this good stuff, along with other good stuff called faith, it is then that we are declared righteous and thereby saved. Okay? And it's all this arbitrary gifting of whatever. Okay? Selected Messages, Book 3. To be pardoned in the way that Christ pardoned is not only to be forgiven, but to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. The Lord says, A new heart will I give unto thee. The image of Christ is to be stamped upon the very mind, heart, and soul. The Apostle says, But we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 Without the transforming process which can come alone through divine power, the original propensity to sin are left in the heart in all their strength to forge new chains to impose a slavery that can never be broken by human power. So this is a process in which we accept God's gifts, which He has for everyone. And if we're able to accept it, then we are changed into something new. Okay? When we read this memory text, what do you understand the phrase, submit to God, means? i
1: gonna like the text you, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me from my meek and lowly, and you'll find rest for your souls. To me, submitting to Christ is to uh, agree and willingly agree to go into that yoke with Him, you know, to, to learn from Him and be changed by Him. To allow God to work in your life.
0: Okay. Turn to Friday's lesson. There's a quote there. Um Let's see. we oh, brother. Did I okay? Here, okay. It's so the bottom of the of the two quotes at the top of the page, top half of the page. All true obedience comes from the heart. It was a heart work with Christ, and if we consent, He will so identify Himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to His will, that when obeying Him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. Yes, absolutely. That's just. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Okay. All right. I'd like to read that same text, the memory text, the, the um, quarterly has chosen the New King James Version. I'd like to read that same text from the God's Word translation. Um, but I would also like to read verse 5, which they have not included in their memory text. At some point you've got to cut it off, at, you know, whatever. Do you think this passage means nothing? It says, the spirit that lives in us wants us to be his own. But God shows us even more kindness. Scripture says God opposes arrogant people, but he is kind to humble people. So place yourselves under God's authority, resist the devil, and he will run away from you. So the reason that God shows his kindness and wishes us to be changed from arrogant people into humble people is that he wants his he wants us to be his own mm-hmm. verse 5 he wants us to be his own what a what a privilege incredible the way we're designed we're, the way we're t- created was to be human we'll talk a little bit about what it means to be human a little bit farther in the lesson. This was the design template, the original plan, and Christ's work was to come to this earth that we might be recreated into his likeness and once again be human, to be like him. Incredible. Anyway. Does that mean currently we
1: reflect another image?
0: in some ways? I think so. Um, You know, it's covered more in the the, um, Sabbath Afternoons lesson. Um, Someone read the very first paragraph on Sabbath Afternoons lesson before Pentecost.
1: Before Pentecost, the disciples had significant spiritual needs. Their understanding of God's plan was clouded. They failed to comprehend Jesus' mission and after they were touched by divine grace Christ's love broke out broke their hearts they experienced revival and reformation reformation
0: Yeah Was this any different after Pentecost In other words it says they had significant spiritual needs was that any different? Mm-hmm. Their understanding of God's plan was cl- was clouded. Mm-hmm. Was that any different? No. Yeah.
1: After Pentecost, you mean. Yeah.
0: Them. Yeah. So they they had they, you know, th- they knew when Christ was coming. They had it all down. They had all the the scenario correct. You know, there's no more needs. Yeah. No more. Yeah. They could eat together and socialize and be...
2: No, it's still very wild. It's still wild.
0: Okay. Um, in Acts 1, 6 through 6-8, it says, So when the Lord, they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, wait a second. It is not for you to know... Times or epics which the Father has fixed by His own authority. It's interesting. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you should be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. What was the result of the Pentecost experience?
1: Thousands were baptized, people were changed.
0: Okay. What happened to the believers? Okay, they, they received spiritual gifts. Okay. What did the result, what was that result? What happened? It was as she said, thousands were baptized. Okay. So if that was the result, what was the purpose of the Pentecost experience and transformation?
1: To give them a new vision. Okay. New many
0: Was the purpose of the Pentecost outpouring for the believers Or was it for the unbelievers? Okay. So, God gives gifts to us for what purpose? To share. To reveal His character. Okay. It's not about us. And so we talk about growth. Growth happens. But is that the purpose of all this? Mm -hmm. Growth happens as a result of this. But the, the, the gifts of the Spirit were given for others. Amen. And it's only by the, how we use them that we grow and we change and we become like Christ. Okay? And so much of this lesson, when I'm reading it, when I read it the first time, it's like all about my growth and my change and my whatever, etc. And that's a secondary effect. That's not a primary effect. We don't, you know, do things to get growth so that we can say we have growth. We do things to help others, and in that process we grow and to be more like like, like God. Okay? So much of the time we're so in, polluted and infected by selfishness and by this world and how it looks, etc., that we think of God's gifts as gifts for us, you know, and our growth and our maturation, etc., it's not about us. The second paragraph, a revival is simply a reawakening of deeper spiritual longings. It's an intensification of our spiritual desires as our hearts are drawing closer to God through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Revival does not imply that we have had no previous experience with Jesus. But rather, it calls us to experience that is deeper and richer. Reformation calls us to grow and change. It appeals us to move beyond the status quo spiritually. It invites us to re-examine our lives in the light of biblical values and to allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to make any changes necessary in order to live in obedience to God's will. As we work for others, we grow. The focus is not on our growth.
2: Am I understanding the Pentecost ride is something that happened fairly rapidly?
0: Ten days after Christ left. Okay. So, for 40 days, Christ was on the earth after his resurrection. He left. Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. So, 10 days after he left, Pentecost happened. Okay? All right. Let's go to Sunday's lesson. Um, talks about James and John. He gives a couple passages about illustration of what they were like. You know, they wanted to call fire down on the Samaritan village, you know. Um, but you have to realize, you know, they were looking, I mean, here's the Samaritan village. They're looking and right beyond the village is the mountain where Elijah called fire down on all the troops. You know that story? I mean, yeah, the, you know, we all think about Elijah and um, calling fire down on the f- sacrifice and it consumed the altar. But do you remember the stories shortly thereafter in which he called fire down and consumed fifty people at a time? Yeah, three or four times. Three times. Well, I guess the third time, he, the 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 <laughs> one commander came with with fifty guys and said, "Okay, we're going to arrest you." And boom, they're gone and fire. Another fifty guys came with another commander and boom, they're all gone and fire. And the third guy said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a minute, you know."
2: back off of ashes.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, so they had, they were standing where they're standing, they're seeing the mountain where this happened. Okay? Who's more important, Christ or Elijah? Christ. The disciples knew that. Christ had just been insulted. So, I mean, If I grew up with that story as my Bible story and my, you know, bedtime story and whatnot, I mean, you know. Anyway, so, and then also then they came with their mom and wanted the top spot and all that stuff. Um, Okay, the bottom pink section on Sunday's lesson says, it's so easy to get discouraged over our own spiritual growth, especially since we truly want to have revival and reformation in our lives. When discouraged, when feeling as if you are spiritually a failure and that you are going to be lost, what promises can you claim that will show you why you must never give up and why despite your faults you can have assurance of salvation? Anyone? What's your text?
1: John
0: 3:16. Yes. And 17 and 18. Okay. First Samuel twelve, twenty two, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Or Hebrews thirteen, five through eight. I'm not reading the whole thing, but kind of picking up my choice verses of uh, choice phrases, God has said, I will never abandon you or leave you. So we so this is God's word translation. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mortals do to me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? So, the spiritual growth. Yeah.
2: My. my, uh, In first reading this passage, my my first take on it is this. This tends to focus the issue on ourselves.
0: The whole lesson. The whole lesson. I mean, you know, what can I do
2: to be assured of salvation? It's my salvation. You know, what text can I claim? Is that really is that really where our focus
0: should be? Yeah, that, that that was my impression the entire lesson. You know, that this is all it's all about something else. It's not about us, right? You know.
1: Well, when you think about the Moses and Paul transformation where they're asking to lose their own salvation or to take their names out of the book in order
2: to save others, that's
0: the growth. Yes. You had a a point? No. Okay. Um, How can you measure spiritual growth? How do you measure it?
1: No, 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 but we're also told that the closer we come to Christ, the more defective we feel in our own eyes.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And so it's very difficult to measure that.
2: Should we be measuring? And should we, yeah.
0: Yeah. I have down here, tests and trials are a way for God to reveal to us our spiritual condition and needs. Mm -hmm. Okay? Are there any other ways?
3: clearest way that we can see our needs is if we're looking at Christ. I mean, yeah. you know, Peter, when he was walking on the water, was fine, as long as he kept his, kept his focus. When you start looking around at the other stuff, that's when we fall. Um, and so I think, even when we say, you know, the tests and trials thing, I think he used use those, but I don't think those were his design. Um, I think he... Our focus is, is is the most important thing. Looking at him, not at ourselves, not at everybody else, just looking at him.
0: Some sometimes we need something though to make sure that our our judgment is not going off down the road, the wrong road. You know, something to stop us. Yes.
1: Uh, from a personal standpoint, I was raised in a family that uttered a curse word for everything we said. And I feel like my spiritual growth is that when something happens to me or I drop something on the floor or I spill something or uh, I uh, refrain from saying a naughty word. That may be trivia to some. But,
0: but others, correct. It is. Um, I'm known in the operating room for saying vegetarian cuss
1: words.
0: (laughs) Something happens and I... Sugar! (laughs) You know, or, you know, the the OR crew knows that when I start saying sugar too many times or my my own name too many times, things are not going well. So, anyway. All right. In the uh, Acts of the Apostles, 543... First paragraph, in the kingdom of God, position is not gained through favoritism. It is not earned, nor is it received as an arbitrary bestowal. It is a result of character. The crown and the throne are the tokens of a condition attained, tokens of self-conquest through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. It's neither a gift nor a result of works nor a bestowal, arbitrary bestowal. But it's a result. This is something to think about. All right. Yes.
2: Just real quick, I read desire of Ages yesterday that said it's not the fear of punishment or the reward of going to heaven that's going to change our hearts. It's the gospel of the grace of Christ alone. And uh, I just thought that was inspiring. Uh,
0: when I be lifted up, I will draw all, you know, that's very, very, you know, very appropriate. Monday's lesson. Um... The first paragraph, change comes. Change comes at the point of choice. Reformation occurs as we choose to yield to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and surrender our wills to God's will. God will never force or manipulate our wills. He respects our freedom. His Spirit impresses our minds, convicts our hearts, and prompts us to do right. But the choice we respond to the Holy Spirit's appeals is always and only our own. The lesson asks us to read Philippians two, twelve through 14 I don't know what your favorite translation is. Um, You know, I have my electronic Bible and it has the five most frequently used versions and it has those stacked, you know, up so that you can get them easily. God's Word Translation, Good News Translation, New American Standard, I forget, I think New, King James is there just because I have to look up stuff. Because I can't find it any other way. Um, The amplified version for this text, I think, is neat. Okay? And so I just want to read this. um, So, Philippians 2, 12-14, amplified version. Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now not only with the enthusiasm you should show in my presence, but much more because I am absent, work out, cultivate... Carry out to the goal and fully complete your own salvation, with reverence, awe and trembling, self distrust, with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire to both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Do all things without grumbling and fault-finding and complaining against God and questioning and doubting among yourselves. I thought that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Very good. All right. It's interesting, um, the, the paragraph, now the fifth paragraph in the lesson for Monday says, God will not rip some selfish thought out of our minds. I thought that was a good graphic, you know? All right. Also, um, 2 Corinthians 3.18, all of us then reflect the glory of God with uncovered faces and that same glory coming from the Lord who is the spirit transforms us into his likeness in an ever greater degree of glory. We are changed by what we look at. By what we admire. If we're looking at the wrong things, we become the wrong people. If we look at true Christ, we will become Christ-like. If we have an image of Christ, other than what Christ is like, will we not become like Him as well? We have to be careful uh, about The sources of what we come to believe about who God is. Because it's truly all about Him. Alright, Tuesday's lesson. Both Peter and Thomas had one striking feature in common. They approached faith from a very human perspective. Peter placed confidence in what he could do, Thomas in what he could see. They depended on their faulty human judgment. Can we use any other kind of judgment? I just read this, it's like, huh? After Pentecost, were the people that were there less human than before Pentecost? Or
3: less faulty.
0: Less faulty, okay. Was Adam more or less human before or after the fall? So what are we talking about when we talk about human judgment? Faulty judgment. Faulty judgment. Okay. But, okay, Um, this week I had a a meeting with the administration, my employers. Okay. I was informed that um, I was blind and that I was not perceiving something that was happening in my office. That people were lying to me, in in essence, and that um, I was not seeing it, okay? How am I supposed to f- correct that? Well,
1: first of all, is
0: it true? I don't know. Someone else, I mean, my bosses think it's true, okay? How can you
1: correct something if you don't even know whether it's true or not? How can you something that doesn't exist? You have
0: to know whether or not it's true. Okay. How okay. In the Bible it says thy word is truth. And that helps when you're talking about God. But but when you're living your life, I mean most of us don't go around most of our days. I mean, my job is not theology. I mean, maybe it is. You know, I mean but um, my job is as a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, diagnosing and treating and whatever, etc. And many times what I'm told by my patients is not true, and I figured that out, you know. Um, this week I had to reassure that, not reassure, I had to emphasize to a parent that the medication that was, I was sending this patient home on that was going into a catheter into his knee could not be injected into her vein, otherwise it would kill her. And I had to tell the, the mother this so that the mother did not get harmed by the implied use, because she was asking some very pointed questions about the effect of this medication on the human body and how she could unlock the pump and all the other things. So sometimes I'm, I'm told things by my patients' families and whatever, that things are not true, okay? But how do I know what is true? I have to use human judgment. Mm-hmm. Don't I?
1: You must investigate. Yeah, it's
2: a fair investigate.
0: Okay.
3: also the judgment from your past experiences with, this, with the situation. I mean, if all it's your people that work
1: with you, you know something about them, you work with them. Are okay. they trustworthy? You know, you have to, like I said, investigate and see. I mean,
0: okay. Well, I'm just I'm just bothered by this statement about um, they depended upon faulty human judgment.
2: What
1: else
2: have they got? Well, yeah, Christ had uh, Christ had to depend on that judgment as well, mm-hmm. and he he uh, he certainly he did the best job of tapping into the divine judgment and conforming his human judgment. Uh, around that, and He offers us every opportunity to do that, but, yeah, human judgment is the only, that's what we're born with. If we we allow Christ to live within us, then then that gives us the source of improving that human judgment and conforming it with divine judgment.
0: Okay. Yes.
1: I guess part of our, uh, the reason for our class is because we question human judgment we come and reason here, and uh, don't just swallow hook, line, nice. and sinker. I think that God asks us to come and reason.
0: That is an ideal of this class. Okay. So, you know, I, I go back to this, the statement we had before about what happened at, with Pentecost and what happened at the fall. Were we less human or more human before the fall? And I think that truly, as we grow in grace and as, as we learn who God is, and, and we etc., we can use better judgment about certain things. And maybe it spills over in our entire life. Maybe it's true that I can make better judgments about disease processes if I'm a Christian or whatever. I'm not certain that's true, but. I would think that if my mind is working better, if I ha- if I'm healthy and whatnot, that I truly can be making better judgments than I can if I'm not, or that if I'm not under the influence of some exogenous chemicals, I can do better than mm-hmm. maybe if I if I am. Yes.
1: What do you mean by human? Like um, human is how we were created to be.
0: Well, and... and, and,
1: Humanity would be Adam and Eve, wouldn't
0: it? Yeah, and and that goes back to this this statement here. that They're talking about faulty human judgment. I'm thinking, that's all I've got. Okay? And it's true that as we become more... As we become more Christ-like, we will become truly more like God's ideal for mankind and humans. But we will still have to use our human judgment. We don't have anything else. And I would like to avoid throwing stones at people when they are doing the best they can with what they have been given. We all were not created equal. Maybe in this United States we're supposed to be created equal under the law, but we truly all were not created equal. I have many, many people in my practice who were not given the same mental talents that you were. And yet they are going to be driving on the road and they are going to, some of them, and they are going to be um, exercising all that they can to live their life within the confines of this, um, what they've been given, okay? And I think we have to be careful when we complain or, or criticize or whatever, someone's human judgment, you know... I, um, I'm not the most forgiving driver.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: that's, that's one of the areas that I think the Lord is working on me right now. And I may have to get a different car. <laughs> Be- because when I am driving down the road and things happen, it's like, really? Really? Um, is it you're on the cell? I'm blaming everything now on texting, okay? But this week I was driving to work and uh, I, I could hardly contain myself. The horn almost went off. Um, and finally I got to the freeway and, you know, the speed limit's 55, but unless you're going 70, you are in dire straits of being overrun by the semis that are coming by that time of morning. And um, so as soon as I hit that, I, I, I get on at the Hamilton place, little loop-de-loop thing off the Hamilton going toward town. And I have it timed so I can get in third gear and my revs up. And so I hit that chute going about 55 with the anticipation that within about 100 feet, I'm going 70 miles an hour and I'm in with everybody else. Okay? The and, way it's supposed to be done. Well, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well this week. window with sugar all morning.
0: This week, I was behind someone who was not doing that. And I came around the corner and I was, had to slam on the brakes and kind of decelerate, you know, when I thought I should be hitting the RPMs up, you know. And I came beside them and I glanced over at this, I almost said idiot, um, and then I looked and this was a disabled person who was doing the best they could. And I said, Lord, protect this dear soul on the freeway. From people like me. From people like me. Make sure that everyone around them can break as fast as I did. Because they, I don't know where they're going. I don't know how far they have to go. But right now, they're at risk. And um, I'm sorry, but um, it it took me a little while to... um Anyway. All right. Wednesday's lesson: um, the prodigal son parable. Everyone knows the everyone knows the um, the um, story. I hope, prodigal son. Um, the. Int- introduction to the Wednesday's lesson says uh, Luke 1511 through21 that's a parable. Um, what specific attitudes and actions led the prodigal son to re- decide to return home? What principles of revival and reformation do we discover in this passage? I'd like to ask some questions about this passage okay We all know the story okay um, Why did the prodigal decide to return: bottom of the
1: barrel.
0: He was hungry. Self interest. Yeah. Okay. There was food at home. The slaves had food. He realized his need. Okay. He realized there was something better somewhere else. All right. And my, um, my wife, she grew up in Sand Mountain for a period of time. And, um, she's part of the Ringer clan. And, um, Grandpa Ringer. During the Depression, um, I think they lived in Michigan or somewhere like that, and um, they were without a job. They had no money. They had a a couple sacks of beans and a vehicle and a little bit of money for gas, and that's about it. And he says, I can freeze and starve, or I can just starve. (laughs) And so he started driving south. And he didn't stop driving south until he hit Orlando, and they found a job picking oranges or whatever in the in the groves, and they survived, you know, for several years there, and then kind of drifted back when they found land up on Sand Mountain for sale and the farmland and whatnot, and they thought they could survive there. Um, but um, so the the prodigal son, real, uh, anyway, come back to that. He realized there was something better somewhere else. When did he realize what his father was really like? Prior to his departure? No. In the pig pen? No. After his return? We may not know. We don't know that. All we know is he came back and um, that he went to a party. Okay? If he realized what his father was like it was only after he had been granted new eyes okay i th- i think back on the statement of of christ he that hath ears let him hear he that hath eyes let him see you're blind guides whatever
1: when do we realize what our father in heaven is like at the cross right
0: yes yeah. yes so um we hope that the son got to the point where he understood his father's love and character. All that we know is that he came home for, and had a party. Okay? We may the we, we maybe do not... Hmm? Okay, I don't know how, what, what I was drinking when I, I read this, but, um, and I don't drink, but anyway. Um, many of our foundation realizations at the time are not when they're happening. Okay? It is only after the events have occurred that we realize that true meaning. What it means to be human, what it means to be what what would heaven do differently, what what we you know. All those insights that we like to get. It's interesting. Jesus' instructions to Peter before his fall in Luke twenty two, thirty one, was The devil's after you, I've prayed for you, and here's what's happened. Once you come back, okay. Peter didn't understand it when he's going through it. Or Jesus' statements on why he gave prophecies in John thirteen, nineteen and twenty, and then again in John sixteen four. It doesn't say that Christ is giving prophecies so we know what's going to happen. In one of the first passages I read from, it said he said. You know, it's not yours to know epics and times and all that sort of stuff. And when Christ gives us prophecies, it's not to know what's going to happen, but only after the fact that you may believe or that you may trust me. And and sometimes we have a lot of charts. Yes?
3: I think it's kind of interesting that... For the story of the prodigal, the lesson feels like it's necessary to give him some excellent motive for returning. When in fact the story is not about the prodigal, it's about the father.
0: Well, I I was going to get to that point where, what does prodigal mean? In the current dictionary, if you look at the current dictionary, what does it mean? Someone who's come back. Okay? Getting back to King James, what did prodigal mean?
1: Lost.
0: No. Prophetic. No. Prodigal meant lavish, giving, wonderful. What was the story about? It wasn't about the prodigal son, it was about the prodigal father. Nowhere in the, in the th- statement does it talk about the prodigal son. It talks about the prodigal, but it talks about the father being lavish and gracious and loving. And we. 300 years later, have turned this into the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. And the word has changed meaning, just like we talked about this. Other words have changed meaning. Prodigal has changed meaning from lavish and gracious and loving to someone who's come back.
2: Sounds a lot like prodigious. Mm-hmm. The word prodigious.
0: Yeah. Meaning the same thing. Lavish. Yeah. Yeah, prodigal was about this lavish father who loved his son so much that when he came home, he gave him a party. And
3: he didn't care about what his motivation was. Yeah. So I don't care. It's okay. You're home.
0: You're home. Buddy. You're home. God deals with us where we are, no matter how we got there.
1: And he was waiting. That's right.
0: Yeah. No Actively waiting.
1: Yes. All right. Since he left. Yeah. I like it
0: that that
1: same father went out to greet that son, but he also went out to greet the other son. Yeah. The other son, who may more represent churchgoers and so on, who have always been in the church, that son left the party, and he was in a huff because of the way the other son was getting so much good times and grace and love. The father didn't ignore that. The father went out after that son, too.
0: Yeah. 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in the goodwill and knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ, Glory belongs to Him now and for that eternal day. Amen. You know, I mean, it's, it's about the prodigal father. So, anyway. Um, at the bottom of the page, revival occurs when God's love breaks our hearts. Reformation occurs when we choose to respond to a love that will not let us go. I thought that was well said. All right, Thursday's lesson, Pool of the Bethesda. Um, First paragraph, Jesus revealed the Father's compassion and love through the miracles that he performed. He healed palsied, palsied bodies in order to reveal an even greater ability to heal palsied souls. He restored twisted arms and legs in order to demonstrate his greater desire to restore twisted hearts and minds. Jesus' miracles teach us something about how to exercise faith. They teach us valuable lessons about growth and change. I agreed with that completely. Except that, do you have another explanation on why Christ healed the invalid at the pool? That
1: one guy. What about all the other people?
0: Okay. But why did he heal the one guy?
1: I think his miracles tell us more about what he wants to do in us. What he means for the Sabbath to do for us, what he means to do for us, he means to unparalyze us, to give us our sight, to give us a recreation of our minds, our bodies, you know, everything he did as a miracle is to show us what his goal for us is. We are all those people, we're demon possessed, we're paralyzed, we're blind, and he does that for us.
0: I agree with you, but I have to object a little bit to your terminology okay because just like in this statement you you, you made almost very identical statement to it it says he healed palsied bodies in order to reveal an even greater ability to hold palsied souls I believe that statement is true but I think Jesus was God and that's who God is he would heal us if he would let him that's who God is Christ was just being God now, why didn't he heal the whole pool worth? Okay, if you read Mrs. White and others, you will be. The statement is to the fact that if he would have done that, his his mission would have been over. He would have been killed on the spot. Yeah, I- it, 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 it was a Sabbath. He got in enough trouble. He disappeared into the crowd and kind of uh, kind of got away. You know, to the point where the guy had to say, "I don't even know who who healed me." You know. Some guy told me that he healed me and he told me to carry my bed and I have no idea who it is, okay? If Christ would have healed the whole pool full, you know, porches and all that sort of stuff, you know, his, his his mission on life or his human existence at that point would have ended. Yes?
3: I think it's important to remember that this particular individual basically given up hope. Um, the people at the pool believed that when the waters were stirred, you know, they could. the first one in would be healed. So I'm pretty sure all of their attention was focused on the water. But this guy couldn't go anywhere. His attention probably wasn't focused there because he couldn't get in.
0: Okay.
3: Uh, he was the most hopeless person there.
0: The first question of the day says, why do you think Jesus asked a man, do you want to be made well? Okay. Christ asked him if he truly wanted to get well. What did the man hear? What was his response? I can't get into the water.
1: No one will help me get in the water.
0: Okay. So so Christ asked the question, do you want to be made well? What did the man hear? Do you want to get in the water? Why are you laying here for 38 years? He heard an accusation. He responded to an accusation rather than to the question. Okay? So, um, uh, is it true that all who suffer want to be healed? No. No. It's every day my practice. I, I was going to say, it, it, in, in my practice, and now I don't do adults as much anymore, and so, but it, still, even in, in the practice that I have, I have met many who do not want to be healed. They come to me, but they don't want to be healed. That is their identity. That is who they are. That's how they. That's who. The, what they do, etc. They receive identity from this disease, and they, they're playing a role. They
1: receive disability checks from having
0: their. Well, and again, that's that, that. That can be part of it, you know. But much more ingrained in it is is this disease motif. This invalid. This is something. Something else has happened to me, and I, I'm helpless, and and whatever. It goes to the point of Christ's later admonition to the invalid after he is healed. What did he say to him in the, in, the, in the temple? Stop sinning. Stop acting in the way that continues the sin and disease problem. This was not an arbitrary command. It wasn't, you know, don't sin, otherwise God's going to get you. The man was not punished for his sins with a disease. If you go back to his, Christ's other statements about other individuals. The laws of God that were broken were not arbitrarily meted out with punishment. There are many reasons why bad things happen to people, or whether they're good or bad. Christ was not telling him, stop, or I or my father will punish you. God wishes the best for his children. At the bottom of the of the page, it says, "Why is it so important to believe God's promises for forgiveness, especially when we feel so condemned and guilty for our sins? Why must forgiveness precede informa- reformation in our lives? Why is it important to believe that we can overcome through Christ's power in our lives even now?" Right. Exactly.
2: All of that provides some foundation for the fact that we have choices to make and that we need to make our choices.
0: Yeah, but I think it's also about him. It's not about us.
2: Well it's not about us, but he's glorified through us, through the choices we make.
0: Right. Amen.
1: If we or others or Satan can convince us that we are hopeless, then we don't even Look to go there. Yeah. Give up entirely.
0: On the cross, Christ forgave those that put him there. Did it help them any?
2: Some we don't know.
0: We don't know. But some know, some yes. Okay? Some we will not know you know until eternity or whatever. But um it didn't help them unless they, they believed who He really was. So, without that acknowledgement, um, they would um, they're not going to accept what He has to give. It yes.
1: Do we really believe God and Christ's forgiveness and love if we continue to always feel condemned and guilty? Are we not? Are we believing what he has told us that he has forgiven us? No. Yeah. And sometimes these lessons irritate me with all the suggestion that we're so awful instead of encouraging you. I think they kind of put you down, and especially folks that might have inferior personalities. I found a a verse a couple
3: weeks ago. 2 Corinthians 7.10 Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And I think the difference is if we have godly sorrow, if, it, if the Holy Spirit's job is conviction. Not guilt. Conviction. And when He brings something to us to change and we work with Him through His power to change it, there is no regret. Because we're just on the path to healing. You don't feel bad for the disease that you have, that you had no control over. You just keep moving on the path towards healing, and that's the path toward Christ.
0: Very well. Very excellent. I'd like to close with one thing from Friday's lesson, and that is at the end of the Friday's lesson, um, discussion questions number three. Um, When was the last time, like Peter, you made a promise to God that you, however sincere at the time, you made it, utterly failed to follow through on it, blah, blah, blah. What did you learn from the mistake? And then the, 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 the next question is what I'd like to emphasize. and What principles can we find in the Bible that will enable us to have the victories that we are promised? And I'll say it's not a principle. It's a person. Yeah. The whole Bible is about a person. Yes, you will read lots of principles. You'll read lots of rules. You'll read lots of stories and everything else in the entire Bible. But it's not about rules and principles and guidelines and my diet. It's about Him. It's about a person. Amen. When you realize who God is and what He really is like, then you trust Him for the victories that are promised. Amen. You are trusting Him for the strength and the victories because you have come to know Him and Jesus Christ who He has sent. That is true faith. Amen. The Bible is not about principles or rules or laws or guidelines, although one can find pl- plenty of those in the Bible. The Bible is truly about God, who God is and what is He like. That's the fundamental message of all the inscri- inspired Scripture. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you go with us. May we truly reflect you. May we use your gifts for others. May we understand that as we help others, we truly will be changed. We ask that you to make us human again. May we be ready for your coming. May we be with you in heaven. Be with those who couldn't be here. Be with Tim and his journeys. Be with the others as they go about. May we all honor you and be ready to be with you. Amen.